to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 103 with Rich Jarvis of Welcome to the Golden Page, entitled Artifacts of the Holofractal Dao. Welcome. How's it going, sir? Hey, thanks for having me. Definitely. I know it's been a hot minute, um, and we've got a lot to kind of, you wanted to fill in some information that you didn't really cover last time you were saying, and maybe cover some new stuff. But uh, let's really quickly kind of do some things, Raphael, and I do some upkeep. Um, this is the 104th episode, which is third, going... Three. Okay, 103rd episode. I'm glad you caught me, because I was like looking down at the emperor. I'm like, wait, that doesn't mathematically do right. So anyway, um, what I do is read a major arcana based off of that numerological reduction. And this is the emperor card, which doesn't surprise me. This is about, you know, pharaohs building pyramids stuff. The uh, It says, I lead by example... The Emperor card is about setting boundaries and following rules, believing in the concrete world around you. Rich, you could totally help us with that. Focus on action and result in holding your ground. What Galactic Heritage card would this be, Raphael? So this will be the third of the Sasani cards, which are, of course, among my favorites. 103, Sasani, Spiritual Sovereignty, parallel timeline. So again, obvious Emperor connection. Spiritual sovereignty is a place of complete balance. One walks in integrity, has completed unfinished business, confronted and owned the shadow, recognizes illusion, and knows the self intimately without judgment. From here, the person becomes free to feel the flow of the universe that is called synchronicity. This is an essential Esasani teaching. Once you are firmly rooted in an open-hearted life, based on integrity and synchronicity, you become a fully realized being. This is a roadmap to awakening for individuals and Earth as a whole. If you haven't already, it is time to begin the journey. Did either of those uh, card descriptions hit you in any funny places, Rich? Uh, yeah, everything hits me in a funny way, <laughs> sooner or later. Well, I think it's synchronistic as fuck that basically, like I said, the emperor is kind of a pharaonic energy about like, you know, basically taking the desert and putting, you know, rules and measures on it or whatever. Um, last time you were on here, we got into some pretty heady stuff, some pretty detailed stuff. Um, I don't recall all of it off the top of my head. I don't know if there was something you wanted to pick back up specifically or fill in certain gaps, um, but the conscious kind of yours in terms of where you want to start with this. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, Jim. Uh, first, I want to um, offer my congratulations. I see that you recently got engaged. It is true. Thank you, sir. And there's really nothing like having a, a partner, especially someone with like interests, where you can get into like these deep conversations. And it really feels like you're making progress or things are getting better and better when that happens. It's definitely fun to have a co-partner and a partner in crime, co-creator, all that jazz. Um, it's some weird, you know, namaste way. We're all in this together, but it is cool to find somebody on my wave that I want to bang. <laughs> so it's like, yay. Yeah, that's always nice. Totes. So thanks again for that. Um, shout out Haley. He likes you. Uh, so where would you like to go with this kind of conversation? 
Um, I want to try to mention a lot of things that I didn't on the last show, and then we're going to get a little deeper into the geometry of the earth and the stuff I did talk about. Um, I also want to mention a few names that really helped me along the way or inspired me. And it's almost like, I feel like I'm in some kind of team in a weird way. We're all, we're all on a mission. Um, like we're all called to this mission, whatever it might be to, you know, break through this uh, matrix of reality. On that note, I kind of want, if Raphael, you have anything to speak upon that, obviously team rabbit hole is a team endeavor. I think that everybody has kind of keys of uh, gnosis to unlock in each other and raise the game. And almost like, I don't know, Wolverine needs Jubilee and they need Professor X and all together they change the world kind of thing. Um, but we're here right now in these times for these reasons. I think we're here to be show, way showers and lights on the way, as the Emerald Tablets of Thoth would say. So I'm all about your uh, conception of that. And even standing on the shoulders of giants uh, in terms of research. You know, like we're taking the research of other people and the conversations we have with uh, co uh, you know, cohorts and like minds and coming to new and better and more refined conclusions. Mm, I don't know uh, about your uh, presuppositions on certainty, but it's nicer to get more kind of um, uh, deeper and more refined with the pixelation of our appreciation of the Tao. But Raphael, did you have anything to kind of say in terms of his uh, little nod towards teamwork? Well, all I can think about is Henry David Thoreau and the transcendentalists along, of course, with Manly Palmer Hall, and I can only assume countless others in varying ages on this so-called Earth and many different planets conjoined within the idea of, you know, either we may call it the Cosmic Intelligence Service or just, you know, the servants of the Tao or the perennial philosophers or those that pass the flame, however you wish to put it. Um, and in terms of describing it, I would, of course, only Rich, if you agree, read, depending on how much time you want to give it, one, two, three, or four paragraphs from the very conclusion of uh, Manly Palmer Hall's book, because that's exactly what he's speaking of. And the last paragraph would suffice. You can choose. Yeah, it's up to you. Um, I just think it's really interesting that everybody has their own like little specialty, and it's only when you consider everything that it makes the complete picture. We're all in this together. It's royal we, as the Big Lebowski would say. Um, yeah, Raphael, go ahead and rip off some... Uh, I, you make the call. I, I'm happy with whatever you read. It won't take that long. And then we can kind of let Rich uh, take us away. Okay, so I'll actually go for the four just for some context. So again, this is Manly Palmer Hall, Secret Teachings of All Ages. And I certainly wouldn't be reading stuff here on air because everyone can read for themselves, obviously, if I wouldn't consider this to be supremely relevant and important. And it speaks directly to this idea of uh, perennial philosophy that we just uh, embarked upon. So <clears throat> this is from the conclusion to the very last uh, chapter. I would actually suggest reading it in full. Um, I mean, the whole book, of course, and also the conclusion very, very many interesting aspects um, contained within. So here it says, Man is not the insignificant creature that he appears to be. His physical body is not the true measure of his real self. The invisible nature of man is as vast as his comprehension and as measureless as his thoughts. The fingers of his mind reach out and grasp the stars. His spirit mingles with the throbbing life of cosmos itself. 
he who has attained to the state of understanding thereby has so increased his capacity to know that he gradually incorporates within himself the various elements of the universe. The unknown is merely that which is yet to be included within the consciousness of the seeker. Philosophy assists man to develop the sense of appreciation, for as it reveals the glory and the sufficiency of knowledge, it also unfolds those latent powers and faculties whereby man is enabled to master the secret of the seven spheres. From the world of physical pursuits, the initiates of old called their disciples into the life of the mind and the spirit. Throughout the ages, the mysteries have stood at the threshold of reality, that hypothetical spot between noumenon and phenomenon, the substance and the shadow. The gates of the mystery stand ever ajar, and those who will may pass through into the spacious domicile of spirit. The world of philosophy lies neither to the right nor to the left, neither above nor below. Like a subtle essence permeating all space and all substance, it is everywhere and the outermost parts of all being. In every man and woman, these two spheres are connected by a gate which leads from the not-self and its concerns to the self and its realizations. In the mystic, this gate is the heart, and through spiritualization of his emotions, he contacts that more elevated plane which, once felt and known, becomes the sum of the worthwhile. In the philosopher, Reason is the gate between the outer and the inner worlds, the illumined mind bridging the chasm between the corporeal and the incorporeal. Thus Godhead is born within the one who sees, and from the concerns of men he rises to the concerns of gods. <coughs> In this era of practical things, men ridicule even the existence of God. They scoff at goodness while they ponder with befuddled minds the phantas Goria of materiality. They have forgotten the path which leads beyond the stars. The great mystical institutions of antiquity, which invited man to enter into his divine inheritance, have crumbled, and institutions of human scheming now stand where once the ancient houses of learning rose, a mystery of fluted columns and polished marble. The white-robed sages, who gave to the world its ideals of culture and beauty, have gathered their robes about them and departed from the sight of men. Nevertheless, this little earth is bathed as of old in the sunlight of its, of its providential generator. Wide-eyed babes still face the mystery of physical existence. Men continue to laugh and cry, to love and hate. Some still dream of a nobler world, a fuller life, a more perfect realization. In both the heart and mind of men, the gates which lead from mortality to immortality are still ajar. Virtue, love, and idealism are yet the regenerators of humanity. God continues to love and guide the destinies of his creation. The path still winds upward to accomplishment. The soul of man has not been deprived of its wings. They are merely folded under its garment of flesh. Philosophy is ever that magic power which, sundering the vessel of clay, releases the soul from its bondage to habit and perversion. Still, as of old, the soul released can spread its wings and soar to the very source itself. The cries of the mystery speak again, bidding all men welcome to the house of light. The great institution of materiality has failed. The false civilization built by man has turned, and like the monster of Frankenstein, 
is destroying its creator. Religion wanders aimlessly in the maze of theological speculation. Science batters itself impotently against the barriers of the unknown. Only transcendental philosophy knows the path. Only the illumined reason can carry the understanding part of man upward to the light. Only philosophy can teach man to be born well, to live well, to die well, and in perfect measure be born again. Into this band of the elect, those who have chosen the life of knowledge, of virtue, and of utility, the philosophers of the ages invite you. As Paris Hilton would say, that's hot. Uh, have you ever read that book? I've heard the audiobook, uh, Rich, but I don't know if you've ever read uh, Minley P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages. No, but it sounds like I'm going to have to read that. I would suggest the audiobook. It's by some guy who sounds like he wants to be a Freemason slash like audiobook narrator. He, take, he takes it very seriously or whatever. It's like that kind of thing. And it's kind of whatever. But at the same time, it was like six hours of an audiobook. Um, it was good. There's some chapters in there that are some of the most important things I've ever heard, uh, just in terms of Gnostic thought. Um, yeah, he was kind of a Mason, so it's coming from that angle, but I don't think that will necessarily offend you. Uh, so anyway, um, beautifully read, and thank you for that input. I'm glad I asked what your thoughts were. I don't know if you had that prepared already, Raphael, or if that was spontaneous, but props. That was dope. Both, Both always. Of course, Libra life. But um, Rich, let us know where you'd like to go. Yeah, before I get into like the different um, researchers, um, I think I wanted to start off by something totally different. And this is something I discovered when I was researching vision a long time ago, and it has to do with video games. I'm all about it. Let's hear what you got. Okay. First person games, and even some VR, most VR, the view is wrong, right? It doesn't match real life. And so basically what I found is that when you play a game and you take your mouse or controller and you look around, Everything in, everything in your scene stays like a JPG image. Nothing is moving as you're turning. But in real life, um, things shift around in perspective because when, when we turn our heads, um, our, our heads pivot on our necks and our eyes are actually swinging. So they swing, um, they can swing side to side or up and down. So basically, like right now, if you were to look at something in your room, look at something close to you, and look at what's behind it, and you just turn your head a little bit, you'll see the object behind move differently compared to what's in front. So I'm, I'm messing with this, I'm experimenting. I think I get what you're saying. Right, so there's, a, there's another level of perspective in our vision, and it has to do with the way our eyes are swinging. And um, I've been telling, people about this for years and years that um the uh, camera needs to swing like five inches in front of where the pivot is like in all games and simulations today um the pivot and the camera are on the same point so nothing is moving when you're looking around and uh you know the graphics in these games are getting better and better but they're not fixing that one simple thing and when you do it matches your view in real life, which is basically just take your camera and put it in front of the pivot. So finally, after you know, telling all these people, I said, well, I'm just gonna do it myself. So I made a couple of videos 
one explaining like how it works and then I also show it um, working in Skyrim. So I was able to get it working in Skyrim. I have a couple of videos and you can check it out. And it's basically, it like opens up a whole like other dimension that's there um, because these games have all these like objects and spaces. And when you do it this way, things start shifting around in your view, just like they would in real life. And it makes the game feel like 100% more real. That's fascinating. So, I mean, tell us kind of, I mean, first of all, make sure you message me those links so we can put them in the comments and people can click on those and Everyone watch what we're talking about. that now. Yeah, exactly. I'm perplexed and amused, which is always fun for a double Gemini. Um, but at the same time, kind of walk me through what you think is occurring. I mean, what I, what I grokking from what you're saying, it seems like, um, the lack of perspectival shift given orientation in a game generally is causes a level of unreality or how we experience it. Maybe it's very realistic in terms of a straight model, but it's not an adaptive model. And it seems like you're saying there's a lot of kind of moving parts to our perception. And then if we add these things, it becomes more fluid and uh, true to life as we perceive it. Correct. So in a game today, anytime you look around or, um, you know, aim at your gun and stuff like that, the, uh, the uh, image is pretty much static, like a JPG image. Nothing is moving around. I'm I mean, thinking like Minecraft or something, or like Doom. I, I mean, I don't play that many first shooters, uh, obviously, me quoting those things. But um, where it kind of creates a flatter world that seems kind of almost geometrically sterile or something. Right. And, you know, I've heard all kinds, when I tell people about this and show them the videos, I heard all kinds of excuses of why people don't do it. But in reality, like, I mean, wouldn't you want to match how we're really seeing? And in a game, when you look around, the whole screen moves at once. And then when you do it this way, um, objects closer to you move faster in the view. And objects right. farther away move slower. And it's a lot smoother experience. And you get to, like, peek around corners. And you just see a lot more and just, like, opens it all up. And just in terms of practicality, since it seemed that... I would now say you hacked it together for Skyrim. How much of an effort was that? Because I imagine, first I was thinking about it's just about positioning the camera angle a bit differently, but the way I put it now, there may be a little bit more to it. Can you talk a little bit about how technically you approach this solution for, for Skyrim? Yeah, basically I just looked up um, any games where you could like move the third-person camera because the third-person camera is the, is the effect but like opposite because the camera's behind your pivot. So if you could take that camera and just put it in front a little bit, it makes it um, just like real life. So in the Skyrim video, in the comments, I have the code. So if anybody wants to um, put that code in, I explain how to do it and they could try it out for themselves. And so just to understand, the repositioning of the camera itself was enough to create the effect that um, objects straight in your vision uh, seemed to move faster than others or was there something else you needed to program into this to achieve this effect um basically you just want the uh, your view in front of the pivot just the same as like our eyes are in front of our necks um about that distance and you're like i'm moving the third person camera but um anybody like developing these games would just automatically put in the right numbers to match like a human uh, proportion and then it would be just like we're really looking um, and it's a big deal because 
you think about the billions of dollars you're spending just like on one game like Call of Duty or even like military simulations or um, flying an airplane. You know, when you're, when you're in a plane and you turn your head, you're going to be able to see around the steering wheel a little bit more. Like all of this matters, like when you're trying to make it real. Yeah, it has practical effects in the sense that, like, yeah, like you're saying, it changes the apprehension of the Tao a little. Even though the Tao itself isn't changing, it's our apprehension of it that kind of shifts a little, and that might have advantage. What advantages do you think, other than realism, what advantages do you think that is? Just the other version is less realistic, so therefore participating in it with it is a little less, uh, I don't know, realistic, I guess? I mean, what, what do you think beyond the obvious advantage? Is that the best advantage, or what, like, kind of? What, you see what I'm well, saying? Like, what are the uh, are there more advantages than the obvious? Well, just basically, and the same thing with VR is that they got the tracking in like the center of the headset, and not really like on the swing of the eyes. Like, it makes a big difference, a huge difference, um, to make things feel more real, feel more believability. Yeah, not like you're trapped in like a picture. You know what I mean? Like it's opening up, um, like this forward dimension that. I think, and I really believe that um, games don't do this because no one knows about it. No one really actually, you know, they're all, all these games are built like on the same system over and over and over, getting better and better, but no one really took a look at, hey, you know, is this really how we're looking around, you know? And it, it's a big difference. I think that's a kind of small microcosmic model of some of the things we're dealing with now. People presume, you know, I mean, not to get political or into the zeitgeist too much, but it's like people presume certain things and maybe some of the presuppositions in terms of the building of the beginning of these models have to be reevaluated. Um, and that's how we'll get beyond like two-party system blocked voting, where it's just basically corporate interests and stuff like that. Um, do, uh, I had a thought, but it totally slipped my mind. Uh, do you guys want to keep talking about this for a second or... Well, I, I was thinking maybe I could, um, let's basically, I just wanted to mention that first because I've been talking about this for like a long, long time and I really want people to like see the difference, you know? So I show like the you know, games today and like what it would be like with this little fix and you'll see it. I just remember what I was thinking. So for two things, Marshall McLuhan, um, who's a philosopher, kind of a media philosopher back in the day, um, most notably known for like the media is the message, um, things like that. Um, the tool shapes the tool user, etc. Um, basically, he had a really. I heard a Terrence McKenna lecture at one point talking about McLuhan, and um, he was kind of denoting uh, the fact that he had. McLuhan was like, "Yo, there was a time when we were like pre-literate in a way, and we read reality in a certain way, and then post the Gutenberg printing press, we started reading reality with a very specific kind of um, mechanic, if you want to put it that way." Um, you know, like left, right, up to down, whatever, kind of a certain way, as opposed to like this animistic, shamanistic kind of imbibing of the whole image as such, um, which kind of came to mind. It seems like this might have some implications to that a little. But more importantly, what really first came to mind was the idea of da Vinci in back in the Renaissance, where it's like the whole point of the Renaissance was perspective shift, you know, the ability to, to recreate reality properly. Before then, I don't know how into art, like ancient art you are. I was an art history dropout. But, like, there was a lot of wanky-ass-looking pictures that were kind of realistic, but it looked like they just were almost, like, cut out and placed all weird. Like, perspective was just not working correctly, and people like da Vinci uh, were the reason that we kind of upgraded our modeling. So it sounds like you might be onto something in terms of upgrading the modeling of a very large, not only industry, but a way of life these days. I hope so. 
Well, I hope so too. So we'll be sure to get those links and put them in the comments uh, or whatever and make sure that people can kind of go down that rabbit hole if they so choose. Yeah, sure. So is that... Oh, go ahead, Rafael. No, I think it's just a perfect example, you know, about uh, missing the obvious. And here, I guess, now, Rich, we're going to get into all the other things you want to share. Of course, what I always get back to is the whole idea of metaphysics and, you know, you creating your own reality, synchronicity, and all of these ideas. These things are so obvious and so inbuilt that we can actually get confused out of uh, seeing them as such or, you know, just realizing your own perspective. And I think it's a great example that in a video game, something so simple that is actually so obvious actually gets unnoticed uh, just because, Jim, as you mentioned, at some point another presupposition is uh, introduced and no one ever gets back to question the actual foundation of the whole structure. And this can, of course, apply to any and all belief systems and any and all rabbit holes. So I think it's an amazing example and I'm curious to check it out. And uh, yeah, I hope many will implement this and ideally, you know, kick you back uh, some licensing fees or at least donations uh, to have made this idea popular and implemented it as a showcase. So I think it's great. And I think it may uh, maybe uh, throw a wrench into the whole esports uh, scene and so on. If suddenly all games start shifting uh, this type of perspective may then maybe uh, require a slightly different skill set than it had up to now or change the dynamics of games for sure. Yeah, and it's really easy to do too. It's usually the simple fixes. I mean, it's weird, kind of like what we're saying with the parental philosophy. It's like we just go down and build and build and build on top of things, kind of like ancient structures where like whoever maybe was the originator of some of these ancient sites, um, like for example, Machu Picchu, there's site site underneath that that's very very old and then there's Machu Picchu and it's like do they know what they're doing do they kind of just put this stuff here xyz and then say look now we're on top of this um but like what we're discussing it's like we build on top of the shoulders of the people that came before us that's natural um and it seems like uh questioning everything can be tiring and taxing and seem very kind of um <laughs> futile fatal uh futile or something like this would be a good example of maybe questioning certain models and presuppositions to the point where it actually creates a more smooth experience in something that's becoming a burgeoning uh, industry. Yeah, so I was thinking like I can uh, run through these names real quick and it relates to my backstory of how I all started. Do it. Yeah, so like I said on the last podcast, I started a, probably about 20 years ago. Um, just working mostly on the golden ratio and then i um ended up working on the star tetrahedron and at that time um right about that time is when rich hoagland started talking about a tetrahedron inside mars and you have sidonia where you have those pyramidal like type shapes and you have the face on mars and that's latitude um 19.47 and that's where, if you were to put a tetrahedron inside of Mars, that's where one of the points would touch. So he was the first one to actually suggest um, that there was a shape inside of Mars. And now um, we, I find that stars tetrahedron in almost any sphere. Um, the red spot on Jupiter is on that latitude. Sunspots are on that latitude. Uh, Hawaii on Earth. I mean, there's features 
um, throughout the solar system showing that there's some geometry inside. So regarding that really quick, the mental image that comes to mind, like I've never played Minecraft, but like the idea of like, wouldn't it make, I mean, I'm not trying to reduce it to something. I think it's profound, but my mind is trying to get around it where it's like, all right, a sphere has shapes inside of it. Wouldn't that be kind of how, I don't know, pixelation kind of gets more and more refined outside of it into a circle, but it has to start with a shape. So it would make sense that there's some kind of, uh, I don't know, geometric substrate in a sense. Right. Um, equilateral triangles, the most basic 2D shape, three equal sides. So a tetrahedron is the most basic uh, three-dimensional shape, and that's why we're finding it all over the place is because it's some kind of foundation that the universe is using um, to build, build off of, build structures off of. What kind of reminds me of a little is condensation nuclei. Uh, I don't know if you know much about contrails. I'm not going to get into chemtrails right now, but the whole point is like when jets are going through the air or whatever, um, they, you know, shoot off a particulate. And this happens with clouds and shit too, but, you know, like some dust basically is in the atmosphere and then water vapor forms around it and that creates a kind of what's called condensation nuclei. It seems a little like that where it's like you have, like I'm saying, a geometric substrate and that's kind of almost the... Uh, 3d printer architect level you know emperor card level of kind of the design of the bio you know dow and then it kind of rarefies and becomes more refined into a point where it's less noticeable and uh, fills in its own space is that what you're kind of saying right and when you have the star tetrahedron and then you add more triangles to it it's the fastest way to like fill a ball it's the fastest way to um fill a form with the ease with the least amount of information fascinating so we're getting into like i mean I, I love simulation theory and stuff but this is like how do you program reality how are these um i forget you know who the greek philosophers were but they were getting into like the the forms right and like being like these primeval forms here where things are built around them and that creates energetics and all you know sort of archetypes based off these forms almost um ontological primitives is what i've heard david deangelis uh who's made the starman tarot shout out david uh he talked about and that's what comes to mind is like the primitive parts of these ontological designs in terms of a uh engineering approach almost and just to refer back to the I guess the Marshall McLuhan uh, idea is that as far as I understand, even current graphics technology, all it's doing is it's basically drawing triangles all over the place, right? Right. Polygons. Well, we're getting to a point where the game is becoming aware of itself in a real weird way. So it's like we're designing artificial environments and then seeing that our environment very much resonates with these artificial environments, but to the highest magnitude or something. Right. And so around that time, I had uh, moved back home. And let's just say the people around me were not too supportive of what I was doing or the geometry. And and, uh, and then so I ended up taking like two or three years off. And then, you know, one day on YouTube, I seen Nassim Harriman. And he's talking about the star tetrahedron. And it started like refreshing my memory. So, um, as far as Nassim goes, um, he says that the star tetrahedron is in every point in space and that every point in space has like infinite amount of energy or universal energy, um, almost infinite. And because it's in every point in space, it's all kind of balanced out and we're like moving through it. It's funny, uh, we had a guest recently on who actually went to the Great Pyramid, ironically enough, and went into the, I guess, 
sarcophagus there with Nassim and some other people, and she did some kind of ritual. She turned on to some hyper-level galactic activation stuffs. Um, I'll send you a link to that episode if you want to hear it. She's interesting. But yeah, she... I, I know of him. It's funny because basically I turned on to him right when I was waking up, probably in 2014 or so, 2015. And uh, not right when I was waking up, but at some point in my journey. And um, it seemed like a really cogent thing, but all the naysayers, there was enough like weirdness. And my brother is such a doubter that I, like I, you're saying, I let the haters hate and I let it make me swerve. It gives us a kind of pause to note that like we have to keep pushing that, you know, carry that weight as the Beatles say in uh, you know the end or whatever it's like you're going to carry that weight a long time including the uh, you know disagreements of others and holding on to our opinions is uh, probably one of the best ways to get through the matrix in fact uh, there's some um, there's a tea I drink called yogi tea and they have little um, quote quotes or whatever on all the tea bags and I got this yesterday and it very much fits in it says your strength is your own belief so we have to be strong in our own beliefs, bendable and flexible to know that we don't know it all, but open, you know, open to things and adaptable, open source kind of thing, but not so much that we like stop our research when people hate on us, not hating, not giving you any shit, but like I've done it too. And it sounds like you've done it and we've just got to be kind of more, uh, that's when we got to find the others, right. And find encouragement and accountability with people that we vibe with. Right. And, um, so, um, the seems whole theory is that, the universe itself obeys like the laws of a black hole as if the entire universe is a black hole and inside of every proton is a tiny black hole. So, um, the, you know, protons and electrons, I guess there's two forces, like a strong force and a weak force. And with his equations of a, like a tiny black hole, it solves both of those forces. And it just comes down to gravity and um, with a black hole inside of a proton. And he also says, okay, so we're talking about pixels. There's also something called a voxel. So a pixel would be like a two-dimensional square, rectangle. Um, a voxel would be a sphere. So it's, it's the smallest sphere. And the smallest length you can measure is called a plank, a plank length. I've heard this, correct. Yeah, so it's the smallest unit of measurement. So supposedly, um, I'm not really sure um, too much about the numbers, but Nassim says that if we take that smallest size of oxal and we tile the inside of a proton, somehow the numbers that fit inside um, relate to the mass of the entire universe. So his theory is that every proton is connected to everything else um, through the through the shell or its energetic boundary of the proton. It's it's all interesting stuff, but you know it's kind of hard to. Uh, to, to think about you know when you, if you tried diving into the math yourself yeah it's heavy shit i have i highly suggest people go check out nasim harriman stuff um see if it floats your boat or not i'm not into math i actually you know i'm the kind of guy in fifth grade i got an f on my report card i don't know how the teacher let it slide that hard uh in math so i've always had this kind of bad taste in my mouth with mathematics um but that's something that i think yeah, and i need to overcome <laughs> yeah many i guess uh had interesting experiences with math and i would just like to mention at least of course in my you know also somewhat orion system warlord mind uh, this is no coincidence of course that math in particular that's at least my estimation has been dumbed down so strangely and you know 
in my entire career of learning mathematics in school about 12 years, I maybe saw half a page about Pythagoras and maybe one mention of maybe one mention of the golden ratio, but even then I think not incredibly explicit or something. All I want to say is that only because someone had been turned off by math previously doesn't mean that these things can't be super interesting. I mean, when we get to Nassim Haramein's level, he's like, I guess, physics doctorate level. Um, it can get more complex, but the basic idea is even here would just be the one is all the all are one, which anyone into metaphysics or hermeticism already knows anyhow. So then I see these uh, mathematical formulations just as approximations, which can then help us you know, maybe deal it with it in a more technical and concrete sense. But I would just say the basic conclusion uh, does not surprise me uh, at all. Uh, I'll say one thing and then I'll let you talk, Rich. I heard you take a deep breath. I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, two things that kind of come to mind. I don't know if you've seen the uh, anime Akira. Um, it's a manga and it's also a film, which ironically has the uh, Olympics in Tokyo in 2020 and it's canceled because of other reasons, but like talk about resonators and art imitating life, imitating art kind of stuff. Um, the idea here though, is at the end of Akira, it's, it seems to go like create, like basically these people turn into supermassive black holes, basically like when they become a Buddha or awakened or something, it's not quite that spirit, like discreet, like theologically or whatever, but that's essentially what's happening. And it's like, Oh, every, the all isn't the one. And it kind of reminds me a little of Zen Buddhism and where it's like everything is this shining void. It's a pregnant nothing. It's a bunch of black holes like spinning or however you were saying with the gravity. Um, so I think this does give us a better model for apprehending the Tao. Um, it's just maybe a big, uh, it's a big pill to swallow for sure. Right. He wants to merge uh, quantum physics and uh, you know regular physics and spirituality all as one. I'm all about it. I mean, I think that's what's going on anyway, but we just, it's hard to, I've said this, I mean, we're, it seems in some level we're SimCity Sim style, like we're in the game and we're playing it and now we're starting to come aware of, become aware of like director's mode or, you know, like editing, whatever. And it's just getting to a degree where it's like, well, how else would it be? Like, I'm, it seems we're able to grok these things so it'll happen, but it wouldn't have happened before because just like Da Vinci wouldn't have happened probably before that time. It happened right at the perfect time for people's being, you know, culturally aware and having the ability to spread the information through whatever Rome and all that. You see what I mean? Like, it's like what, what happens needs to happen when it happens. So I think these ideas need to be discussed, but for a long time, I don't think our monkey minds could have even handled the kind of uh, voltage of these thoughts. Right. And um, I just want to say, like, I got a few names here, so I, I was wanted to just blow through them real quick. For sure, for sure. Okay, um, next we have Jamie Janover. Who, oh, yeah, he's a student. Of, keep going. He's a student of Nassim. Keep going, though. Right, he runs all of the social media for Nassim and the Resonance Project, and now he's um, running Robert Grant's uh, social media. And Jamie is up to speed with all of Nassim's information. He travels around the world. Um, doing uh, Nassim's lectures, and uh, he's a he's a big supporter of the Golden Page. He's the reason I have the Golden Page. Is because shout of, out Jamie. Yeah, so I had because I had so much artwork. He really wanted me to to create a page. So that's the whole reason I have the Golden Page in the first place. Is because you know it was his uh, suggestion. We'll have to try to get him on the podcast at some point. I didn't realize you were like, uh, I don't know how tight might not be the right word, but if he's influencing you to create, like obviously we're on the same wave to move things forward. So we'll have to talk about that some other time, but keep going down your list. 
Yeah, he's pretty good with um, the, the information. And uh, now they have Robert Grant um, working with them too. And uh, Robert Grant has a few companies. One is uh, cybersecurity. And he recently came up with um, some prime wheel. And I guess with um, computer encryption, um, the encryption is assigned like a certain key based on a random generated prime number. And so he came up with this prime wheel and something called quasi primes. And somehow he can use this wheel to crack the code of uh, encryption instead of like an hour. He can do it within like less than a minute. Well, that's horrifying in a way, but also uh, promising in a way. Right. So that's pretty interesting. And he's he, he just recently bought a 3D printer and he's, he's he's been doing a lot of geometry classes and now he's printing his office 3D shapes and it's pretty cool. Do you think we're going like it seems like we're in a renaissance of perception right now and that like a lot of people are showing the models, printing the models, showing us the new platonic solids or however you want to look at this. Is that what you think is going on? Yeah, I think uh, you know, we're just more connected now and information's flowing a lot easier, I think. Word. Keep going down your list. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'll probably yeah. keep doing that double Gemini life, uh, but keep going. Yeah, just a few more. So uh, so what happened was, was when I signed the scene, um, working on the star, then I got back into it and started doing more research, and then I joined Facebook and found a whole bunch of people doing similar um, type artwork and geometry. And uh, so a few names would be like Zach Koval. And Zach um, does a lot of pretty pictures like I do with Fibonacci and the Golden Ratio. Um, very similar. Um, and then uh, there's Clay Taylor. And he does a lot of experiments with like um, colors and prisms and the rainbow spectrum. Um, he does cymatics. Yeah. And the only other person that I heard really talk about the star was Dave Wilcock. And Dave Wilcock's been on Ancient Aliens a whole bunch of times. He was on the Gaim uh, channel for a long time. And uh, he talked about the star a lot. He was actually the guest speaker, I think, at the recent Sedona Cosmic Awakening. Um, Isabella Green who and Alexander Mazzone, who have both been on the podcast, shout out guys, um, were part of that thing. So it's funny how all these nodes are starting to connect. And I think the, the waters are getting, uh, you know, higher. It's dope. Like we're all rising together simultaneously. It seems. Right. And uh, okay. So like the thing with ancient aliens is I almost think it's like part disinfo. Psyop. Right. Because everything comes down to aliens. And as far as my research shows, um, everything comes down to the sun. It's the one answer that solves all of it, and, but they never mention it on the show. It always comes down to the only answer can be aliens. Interesting concept. Let's go on a little tangent for a second about this. Raphael, do you have any two cents before I kind of think about it this out loud? Well, I'll think away. I'll comment later. All right. So on the one hand, uh, the sun seems to be important. Solar culture, a big deal to Egypt, obviously. They thought, you know... Ra was the incarnation of Ra was the fucking pharaoh or whatever was going on like they had a very discreet kind of um, metaphysic uh, and ontological worldview built around solar understanding and lunar not to say that they didn't you know negate that but they had solar and lunar temples kind of actually reminds me of uh, this game I used to play on the computer called Commander Keen <laughs> and there was like sun temple the moon temple it was more South American vibes I played but that anyway, game 
Oh, hell yeah. You get it. Yeah, that's one of the best with the pogo and all that shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Classic. And with the slugs. Oh, yeah. That's only version four, yeah. That's, that's what's up. You played the good one. Um, but it's like the 12 disciples around the sun, the son of God or whatever. Like, it seems like a resonator that the solar thing is a big deal. Even Alistair Crowley is like, you know, we're all stars. Um, I don't know what you guys impression of the sun being a consciousness is or anything like that, but it, it, I mean, I'm a vegan. I get my, you know, I eat plant-based things. It's like, that's coming directly from the sun. I always looked at eating animal life as like, I mean, I'm not proselytizing to be vegan to other people. I don't really care what they do. That's their karma. But, um, why, you know, we're take we're getting a lot of energy from the sun in a discreet way. If, if you, you know, eating a plant that is photosynthesizing, that's one thing eating uh, an animal that eats the plants. That's kind of getting the same thing from a different dimension, uh, or a step down or whatever, like another kind of step in the fucking process. I don't need to go on the vegan tangent here, but the point is, um, that's kind of where I'm thinking with all this. It's like the sun seems to be a very big deal. I've, I mean, it's even, I've heard recently people describing that the, uh, the nature of the light of the sun is changing from more yellow to more white. I think this kind of gets into more kind of South American, Mesoamerican uh, cosmologies, more Mayan stuff. Maybe they understand like the eight, like the different ages of the sun or whatever. Um, you hear my rambling thoughts. Do you guys have any two cents on that? Yeah, I, I believe the sun is consciousness and is conscious and is in control. It's funny. Yeah. I actually just made a. Oh, go ahead, Raphael. And just to mention that even uh, if we would take it from the point of view of uh, the channeling of the Ra material, of course, again, with Ra, we have this, you know, even just the name of the sun deity, they, of course, say they are basically an ascended civilization that previously lived on Venus. However, uh, even within their cosmology or how they explain the setup of the universe, they say that the sun is the local logos. So it's like the local sixth density consciousness that if you would have like a hierarchy of effect or layers, then definitely this, let's say the sun would be the boss, you know, like, but it, if we, if we just uh, look at life again, in the most obvious sense, it is very obvious that, you know, the sun is like the thing that is at least on that physical level, also energizing everything. So it's not, wouldn't be a big surprise if on some kind of a spiritual level, it serves as a representation also of, you know, higher density consciousness that, um, yeah, we could say is in control or at the very least that is, um, highly, highly, highly relevant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, influencing it's funny. the question of cause and effect, but, uh, let's say that it's something we should definitely investigate and maybe also here not to easily buy into any presuppositions we've been told. I mean, uh, Rich, apparently you're into this whole idea also of the perspective. And I just know that there is, very many strange things also with the moon, but also with the sun in terms of how the light actually looks and whether the way we see it would actually correspond to it being millions of light years away and that and that size, as we are told. So as I just understand, there are many strange uh, issues surrounding the perspective and the sun and what it actually may be. Before you go on that poll, because I could tell you want to say something, I made a post two hours ago um, because I was reading to my uh, fiance about... Um, something I I have all these tabs in my fucking uh, Internet Explorer, and I was like, I've got to start closing some of these. I mean, we're about to a lunar eclipse full moon, um, where you know full moons are about like releasing and purging. So I'm like, I gotta like kind of clean up shop here. Um, anyway, the quote comes from higherfrequencies.net. 
backslash star systems. I was talking about different like star seeds and all this kind of stuff. But one of the things that was getting at it says, think of Alcyone, which is in Taurus, I think, which is about Pleiades energy. So this is talking about Pleiadian kind of energy. Think of Alcyone as a, quote, library of Congress of sorts. Each sun holds records of every planet in its orbit acting as the, quote, main branch library. Each planet in turn stores its own records, the, quote, local library. You are the paperback book. But now you could say whatever you want, Rich. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. But, um, yeah, we can go far out of the box. I could talk about how the sun relates to the sperm and the egg. And But I have one more name that I want to... Let's get that name, and then we'll go back to uh, uh, yeah. zygote fertilization and solar fucking realities. Right. And I don't know if we're coming up on a break, but um, the last name I want to mention is Dan, Dan Moran. And I know he's going to be on the podcast. And he was, he's, he's, he's the only person, I had a few people that understood that rectangle I was trying to tell you about, the monolith, um, how it relates to Earth's tilt. So he did a lot of work on that. So he's the last person I want to mention. I have reached out to him. I think we scheduled something in the next month or two. Um, I'll be doing a little more research in terms of what he's discreetly kind of presenting, but this is what Team Rabbit Hole is all about. Let's, you know, grease each other's wheels and move forward quicker and quicker to the speed of light, to infinity and beyond. I'm all about it. I've been friends with him on Facebook for a while, I'm pretty sure. And I, uh, I'm i guessing at some point when I was turning on to Nassim and all these people, like maybe he was in those groups. Um, so it's funny because I'd say, how, you know, I've been going through my friends list on Facebook and just getting rid of like high school classmates I don't talk to slash Russian bots or whatever the fuck, you know, all this stuff. And uh, I couldn't tell you how long we've been friends and not really in communication, but I've been aware of him. Um, he's been in the ethers of my digital reality at some level for a few years, probably. So that's fascinating. Um, I don't know if you guys want to take a break musically really quick and then come back to other stuff or not. That's up to you. We're never like, pressured to do anything. Yeah, I mean, we can do that. The, the one thing I would like you to comment on, which so basically also... Uh... So first of all, are you done with all names and individuals you wanted to mention, or is there anyone else? Uh, yeah, I think that's good. I have a few more, but, you know, we can move on. Okay, great. So um, to give another answer in terms of what you mentioned with ancient aliens, I mean, just like with the whole idea about Corey Good and the To The Stars Academy, if you just look, you know, there's quite a few like former, so-called former uh, CIA people involved and so on. So especially if something is so popular, one always kind of has to assume it is at least uh, it is a psyop and probably at least part not completely true or leaving something out or whatever. Um, so I would concur even just in the conspiratorial sense that if something gets pushed so strongly, like I said, at least at this time still, it is probably not, you know, the most pristine and accurate and uh, um, encompassing information that's available. Um, aside from this, of course, there is the obvious connections, you know, with astrology and astrotheology, everything revolving around the sun, the idea of sun worship in all kinds of forms. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, we have, I think the cool thing is, I'll, I'll just say that, that we just recently had someone on who uh, released quite a few picture books, which I'll also refer to you, where he's basically claiming, but also showing photographs that at least some of the so-called old and ancient monuments, they just have been constructed like a hundred years ago. And this may not apply to all of them, but I just think it's fascinating that 
there can be this simultaneity of viewpoints. And maybe what I'm actually assuming, many of them will actually, quote unquote, turn out to be true to varying degrees simultaneously. Um, but maybe we can actually find some particular uh, aspects we could get into where we could be discussing, okay, do we really need aliens for this or that, like some, you know, changes in evolution. So that would be, or uh, let's say jumps in evolution. So that would be one one aspect or question. And the other thing you may just briefly want to comment about to the degree that you know about it is about the particu uh, particularities and peculiarities of the light of the sun uh, when compared to other light sources, if you're up to speed on that topic, just because I know there's some interesting effects going on there as well. Yeah. Now, to be honest, I've seen a UFO up close. And, but as far as like the ancient structures, they all relate to the sun, the angles of the sun, and you can see how they were following and trying to map the sun. But I could tell you my UFO story. Oh, we got to do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you want to do an hour or not. It's up to you guys in terms of music. There's no, like, times. I mean, we're at 3 o'clock, like an hour mark, but this is up to y'all. I don't, I don't give a shit. Don't matter to me. Yeah, so I'd say uh, let's just go with the story, and then we take a break, and then we continue. Okay. Um, the, uh, this was um, probably, like, seven years ago or so, and the place I was staying had a lot of stars. So I decided, okay, I'm going to see something. So every night um, for two weeks, I was outside from 11 p.m. to midnight. And I would just, you know, kick back in a chair and just look up as much as I could until, you know, I would, you know, sit in the dark for a little while, make sure my eyes were adjusted before I went out. And so, like, for the first week, I had my camera with me. But um, it wasn't really good at night vision, and like even like a plane or something, I it wasn't really that great of filming. So I decided, you know, if I did see something, I would try to run in and grab my camera. So I was out there from eleven to midnight, just sitting back, looking, looking. I would see like little things like way up high, look like they came in and out of like the atmosphere, maybe like a little dot would come in and go out. So um, this was like at the end of two weeks, and it was midnight. I was about to head inside, and I got to the back door, and I, I told myself, well, I'll look for five more minutes. So I, I turned around, and I see this bright light coming towards me, um, and it was moving like uh, north to south. It was different than like the planes were normally the, the plane paths. So I said, well, I'll watch this one last one, and I'll go inside. This thing flew um, over the backyard, uh, probably about 50 miles an hour, because it was going about the same speed like a car would. And I could see every detail of it. It was a black triangle, almost like a stealth. But it had these big, like, dome lights on the bottom. Um, like one on the tip and like three on each side. So it was about seven total of these big like white dome lights on the bottom. And it slowly flew over the backyard. And when it, I, I could see like the rivets, I could see all the detail. And then when it reached the edge of the yard, a small dot of light appeared in front of it. And the light grew into like a big, uh, 
white rectangle about the size of a movie screen and the thing never changed speed never made a sound and it slowly flew into the rectangle and then the whole rectangle like slowly faded away and it all it lasted about less than you know just like a couple minutes total but it's something i'm gonna remember like forever that's dope i have not seen any ufos as far as i'm aware of and um that sounds like almost a portal like rick and morty style um but rectangular where it's just like oh let's go this way now and open time space and later yeah and the nice thing is the portal makes me think that most likely it was not a human built uh, one but yeah most, yeah most likely it is. yeah i don't know if it was ours or somewhere else but all i can say is what i saw and part of me thinks like it was doing it for me because I was out there every night, like looking and wanting to see something. The view of it happening was just too perfect. And it was right in front of me. Like if it happened a minute earlier, I wouldn't have seen it. You know, the rectangle would have been in the front. I wouldn't have had the same view. So it was almost like they, they showed me, you know, the ship disappearing. Like I can't really explain it. But, you know, I came to realize, like, if anybody wants to see a UFO, all they got to do is just keep looking, you know. As Raphael said before, I think it's uh, Osho, but I'm not sure. Maybe somebody else. What you seek is seeking you. Yeah, Rumi. man. Rumi, there we go. I knew it was a short little blip of a mystic name. Uh, Rumi, what you seek is seeking you. So in some weird way, maybe Raphael wants to talk about this before the music break, um, we get to quantumly manifest what we what we hope to see between a conscious and a subconscious mind. That's tricky weird shit. But like, yeah, I wouldn't in some weird way, your persistence of attention and basically a highest excitement kind of situation, what brought you joy with not really any expectations in terms of like, it's got to be little green men or whatever um, manifested that opportunity of uh, perspective. Good job, sir. I never thought I would see something like that. I just assumed I would see like a little light zoom by or something. I never imagined I would see like every detail of something real close. Like it must have been like two or three hundred feet in the air. Like it was pretty amazing. You got the money shot. Yep. And there's no time to grab my camera at that point. I, you know. Yeah, that usually never works. So, <laughs> um, you know, especially, I mean, there may actually be human built ones flying around that may be somewhat less or, or appear somewhat more random, but at least to me, it's perfectly obvious that anytime anyone sees a UFOs, you know, like vibration to like vibration, this doesn't happen, especially this doesn't happen by accident. So yeah, like Jim said, you know, well done. Uh, yeah, amazing. Uh, and I'm glad you got the, you know, the full live view. I myself maybe only saw blips so far physically, um, but I've had heard stories uh, from friends that also had like yeah, similar experiences uh, to what you mentioned in terms of proximity and detail and so on. So it's awesome. It reminds me a little of what Bashar had said at some point more recently. He's like, go to Joshua Tree. And there will be something, but every time we come nearby, everyone starts freaking out when we even come close energetically. So you were in a pretty good place, it seems, energetically to be able to manifest that. Yeah, I think it doesn't matter where you are. Just keep looking. Just keep believing you're going to see something and just keep looking. And eventually, I, I think you will. As the X-Files says, the truth is out there. Yeah, and with that, 
uh, enjoy the view and we'll be back after a short music break welcome back to team rabbit hole 103 artifacts of the holofractal dao groovy little track that sounded like some egyptian shit but like every now and then there's some alien sounds so i was like oh cool um all right rich uh do you uh, before we go off on too many tangents i did want you to kind of go back for a second and describe what you were going to say about the sun and um basically fertilization process right about the sun and the sperm and um we can tie this all into how the temples match the human proportion remember i mentioned the sistine chapel the ceiling is a person's body and, right and um but first i want to mention one of my most popular posts and this post blew up to about um 80, likes and then just stopped and it's called the brain baby i don't know if you i remember that. that yeah i saw that it was like a, this, it was basically a baby how a fetus kind of fetal baby looks in uh, how would I put it like wrapped in itself or like kind of swaddled in clothes baby action looks a lot like the human brain right and okay so a baby in the womb is in a fetal position so I ended up finding a 3d printed baby on the internet and when you fit that in a brain it's like almost fits perfectly almost exactly and then when you when you do that, you start looking at like the different functions of the brain and how it matches the position of the baby. So um, your frontal lobe is where all your thinking occurs, and that's where the baby's brain is. Where the baby's arms are is where your brain is controlling your arms. You know, the baby's neck is controlling um, your neck movements in the brain. Um, your balance is your cerebral, uh, I'm not sure if I get the names right, it might be a cerebral, cerebral cortex, but the back of your brain is controlling your balance, and that's where the baby's feet are. So it seems like, and the okay, so everything matches, you know, the, what controls your mouth movements in the brain is right where the baby's mouth is. Um, the only two spots that don't really match your hearing Hearing is not where the baby's ear is. It's more like towards your ears on your skull. And vision, they labeled in the back of the brain. And I think that's because when light enters your eyes, it's, it's bouncing off the back, and maybe those neurons are getting more stimulated. But really, um, they had recent studies showing the whole brain response to vision. So I kind of realized that um, they're spending billions and billions of dollars um, trying to map the brain right now and like this baby if you fit it in the brain it um it's almost like the key to solving like the neural connections because and then and also another thing that's interesting is they have like a special type of mri imaging that shows like the flow of neurons and um you can almost see a baby inside it's so strange from the side view and the and the front view so i finally made a video about it to finally uh explain it a little better um because you know it's a lot of information but yeah that was my uh, most popular post so far pictures worth a thousand words as they say or a hieroglyphic is worth a lot more i don't know but um so are all these videos maybe the skyrim one isn't but are all these videos on welcome to the golden page 
Yes, they're all on there, and I can send you links um, for that. And for the brain baby, I actually did send it to like several neuroscientists, and they never write back. Wow. How telling. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's too perfect not to be something to it. And I mean, just the way I'm imagining it now, just while you described it, it made perfect sense to me that it can match at least to a very great extent. And also, of course, it immediately reminds me of the, I guess you would call it seashell pattern or, you know, just Fibonacci spiral, even just the way the baby is in its position. I'm sure you could draw a golden spiral right on top. Right. It reminds me a little of... um I mean, obviously, a baby is not the same thing, but in the middle of the brain is the same kind of shape, I think, as Ta, which the Oscars are fashioned after a little. Um, right. So it seems like, you know, the one is in the all, and in a matter of perspective, we get a very, you know, if you're looking through one diamond facet, you'll see one reality tunnel. If you look through another, you'll see another. Um, they're all kind of co-occurring, and a mad, uh, like getting back to what you were saying, it's a matter of like proper perspective. Uh, with the whole Skyrim uh, camera angling thing. Fascinating stuff, though. Um, what do you, I mean, it's not something so literal as we have a baby in our minds, but, like, what do you think that means, if anything, to you beyond just kind of the correlation? Um, it's something called reflexology, and it's a known thing that your ear is shaped the same way. And people will get massages. So, like, the back of the ear would be the spine, the bottom's the head. And it's a known thing, is reflexology. And it's basically the same thing. You put that on the brain, and everything lines up, too. Yeah, I've seen some reflexology with, I think, feet or something, where it's like if you massage this part, it's going to your spleen, and this part's to your eye, and, you know, crazy stuff. It's amazing how it's all entangled and, and uh, affecting itself uh, in some kind of quantumly entangled uh, body or whatever. Right, and now this reflexology might relate to the temples, because um, if you look at, like, the Temple of Luxor, I think it's called, and I believe that might have been the first couple shows of Magical Egypt were about how that temple is matching a person's body. Yes, it's like very Adam Kadmani and kind of a almost a schematic of the human anatomy. I'm actually more as interested, I should say not more, interested in going to the Temple of Luxor, as, uh, the Temple of Light, Luxor Light, as much as the Great Pyramids or whatever. Right. And, okay, so when you watch that Magical Egypt and they superimpose the uh, the Egyptian guy over the temple, he got his leg forward because the building is bent, like towards the bottom. But you can see that it's not lining up perfectly. So what I found is that the temp uh, the temple of Luxor, that little bend, um, doesn't really match their what they superimposed, but it matches a person's foot. So if you put a person's foot over the whole building, that bend is where your foot bends. So you're saying it's like a giant schematic for a foot reflexology? Right. So it's reflexology in your foot. That's why it's matching a person's body, but it's also that bend is matching a person's foot. And in the uh, front of the building is where you have all those Ramses statues, and they all have that one foot forward. And there's like hieroglyphs and stuff in the uh, entrance that are like, you know, they show uh, um, two uh 
Egyptians sitting across from each other with their hands up, like touching the feet of ones above them. So there's like references to the feet, like in the in the front of the temple. I'm realizing that you're one of the monkeys I want to go on a field trip with to Egypt if I ever go. It's like, yeah, Rich, let's figure this out. <laughs> Coordinate calendars. Be a blast. Yeah, that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> Bucket list. So um, we can keep going into the temples, and so I don't know where you wanted to go, but had we finished the thought of the sun and the fertilization, or had we even addressed that? I'm forgetting. Oh, well, no, but because it's related, that's why I'm mentioning the brain and the uh, baby and the temple, is because, okay, if you look at the sun and you look at um, a microscopic image of a woman's egg, it, they're almost exactly the same. The uh, the um, the solar flares and the, that pattern of you know squiggly lines you see on the sun, you'll see the exact same pattern on a woman's egg. And now, if you um, scale the sun to the size of a woman's egg, then the Earth is now the size of the head of a sperm cell. And when you do that, the distance from Earth to the moon is the same as the head to the tail of the sperm. That's fascinating. So there's a relationship, and I have a, a post about that where I show like a real, real woman's egg next to a real sperm, and you know the sun, and then the Earth and the moon size, and you'll see it's almost like exactly the same. And so you know when I was thinking about. Um, like the strangest things I have found, it's pretty much that, is that there's some kind of fractal pattern going on with the sperm and the egg and the earth and the sun, and I can only compare it to the, uh, the tombs and the Valley of the Kings. So when you look at the surface of the sun and you see the sperm like weaving its way down inside, you have the same exact kind of geometry when you look at the Egyptian tombs. They weave down in kind of like a sperm shape through the earth and they have a head part and like that's the long tail. And so what I, it, it's pretty out of the box, but what I, um, also figured out is that the tombs themselves are matching a person's body and i found one tomb where right in the middle of this long hallway that goes to like the head of it um you, it's like a picture of a snake and you can see that it's showing like the tail is in this direction the head's in that direction so you can see the snake is almost like a sperm type uh shape so somehow like it's all related and what's also interesting is is like when you start thinking of the tomb as a and okay and this is strange too is that if you take a person's body and you put it next to the tomb shape the entrance like perfectly matches their foot too like the right size and shape of a person's foot and, and then it goes down this long hallway into like the head shape and would you Look at all those strange symbols where people have no heads or beetle heads or, you know, and you just think about a person's body, like from, from feet to head going down, you can start matching those symbols up to a person's body. So like in the shoulder section, you'll see a lot of references to the shoulders. Um, it's just something new that I, I've started working on, but I'm starting to like 
break it down where you can kind of say, well, if the feet are in the entrance and the head's at the end, you know, and then the head is um, like a hard part to figure out because that's where your brain is. So I think like you're finding all the information, like where the pharaoh is buried at the end, you'll find like, you know, the rest of the body, the sun, the beetle, the snake, like there's a lot of stuff there. But if you just focus on like the hallway part, you'll start seeing references to um, that part of the body. So what are some of your um, presuppositions regarding occulted anatomy and what these people are doing? It seems like they were kind of encoding reality with um, perceptions that they perceived of reality, but in a kind of an esoteric way or something. Um, like how woke do you think they were to this? Like, do you think you're stumbling upon something they wanted wanted us to find? Or is this something that we're finding now because we have the ability to apprehend it? Um, I think that um, if it's true, and I believe it is, that they followed the sun back and forth and eventually settled in the best spots to, like, map the light, it's very similar to the sperm and egg going back and forth and especially um, because the sun goes north and south of the equator. When you're following it, you're making that kind of like swervy shape. You're going up and down. You're going to the edge. You're going the other way. So like um, when they build the temples or the pyramids, and and, uh, I think that it's not really like going into an egg. It's more like a merging, merging um, aspect and it's all fractally related to like fertilization the sperm and egg and uh, you know when they're digging those tombs down into the earth i mean maybe they're not thinking of that maybe they're thinking well you know we can't reach the sun but if i go down this angle we'll be closer or you know who knows what they were actually thinking right uh for example i mean i'm a christian more or less um although all christians like you're a witch and all the pagans like stop mentioning jesus um but basically uh mark twain was a devout atheist and he said some things that are very apologetic and almost uh, you know biblical in a sense of theologically deep but he had no conscious awareness or uh, intention of that uh, you know certain statements i forget exactly what it was um coming across as that but one could read that that way and it would apply that's kind of what i was asking i didn't i don't know if you think these people were just like kind of doing cool things and it happens to work or if they were just like way woke um and we were maybe in a different yuga or something in a different kind of context of consciousness when it was like obvious to everybody and we've kind of just like graham hancock would say been a species with an amnesia and we've kind of forgotten all this stuff um you might not have a position i was just kind of curious yeah, I'm not really sure um, because, you know, I, I found, like, um, things that we're doing now that will also match, like, a sperm and egg type pattern, and we're not doing that on purpose. Um, what things would that be? Well, um, just just the um, – if you look at the Valley of the Kings, there's a road that goes right through the middle into, like, this parking lot shape. And if you look at that road in the parking lot, it almost looks like a sperm, you know, head and tail. You know, we're, we're not built the parking lot to match that. It just happened naturally. So, like, what I believe that's, like, just some kind of, like, fractal, like, pattern happening um, that we're not aware of. Like, kind of like you were saying earlier with the planets, there's only so many polygonal um, ontological primitives. So it seems like these things just kind of occur whether we're intending them to or not. Correct.
Raphael, do you have any opinions on this? I would just, for various reasons, assume that there have been cultures and civilizations that at least have been more aware of these patterns than we generally are right now. That would be my estimation. I haven't seen, I don't know what movie it is. I think Dennis Quaid is in it. It's one of his earlier ones. I don't know why I know this, um, but I saw, I think there's some uh, clip of like magician, lover, um, uh, warrior king or some kind of archetypal video series. But the idea is uh, he, Dennis Quaid, I think, goes into Aboriginal uh, Australia and basically goes up to like a shaman slash elder of that culture and he's like talking about astronauts and stuff and he's like how the fuck does he know this they don't have tv they're not watching this he's like oh we go into dream time and we project astrally and all this stuff or whatever he says so i think there's different modal like different modes of knowledge that are accessible but maybe the language kind of differentiates over cultures and technologies yeah i would say well go ahead on any other tangents you'd like to go down at this point rich um yeah there's uh I have quite a bit, and um, I think we should talk about, um, since we're on the subject, we can go a little deeper into, like, the pyramid geometry and Stonehenge. Um, uh, basically, the pyramid is based on the golden ratio, and and its latitude matches the speed of light numbers. And when you look at a hologram uh, of a photon, they capture the image of a photon with the computer. And, and when you look at it, it looks like you're looking at a top-down view of the pyramid with concave sides. Okay? Word. I've never seen that. Right. And I think I mentioned this on the last show. And uh, so when you also, if, if everything has a star tetrahedron inside as its foundation, um, now, a, a star tetrahedron is interchangeable with a cube. So if you took a cube and you connected all the points of a cube, it will form the star inside. And so when you're looking at a star tetrahedron and you rotate it so you're looking at the square side of it, it looks exactly like the top-down view of the pyramid again with concave sides. Okay? Okay. Word. I'm paying attention. Oh, this is something that's almost more visual than not, obviously. So I'm trying to follow, but I'm sure people, if they go to the golden page or welcome to the golden page, rather on Facebook, can see this more discreetly, right? Right. And uh, so just picture a square with concave sides. So now um, with Stonehenge, um, the inside loop is not a circle, it matches the loop of the unk. And what happens is, is that. Um, if the star tetrahedron is your Merkaba and it's related to the photon, um, if you put a star tetrahedron inside the Earth, the inside points of it will hold on to the core, like, almost perfectly. Okay? So now, if you have a star tetrahedron with a ball inside, like the core, and you rotate it to the square side and you look again, you'll see that square with the concave sides, but you'll also see the ball peeking through those planes where the, where the concave parts are. And when it peeks through, it matches the loop of the unk again. So, um, so when you're looking at the, uh, the star tetrahedron, the ball's peeking through, you end up with like almost like a four-leaf clover 
kind of shape where each loop of the ball is peeking through and visually it looks like the loop of the unk. So the way I see it is, is that because Stonehenge is pointing to their summer solstice sunrise, it's met and the inside ring is matching that unk loop shape. The pyramids are pointing to their winter solstice uh, noon sun where it's lowest in the sky and it's matching the uh, the uh, star touch region on the square side and the photon it's almost telling me that because the pyramids are lined up with winter and it's colder we are matching the planes of the star um outside planes more and because stonehenge is pointing to the summer sunrise where it's hotter you get that inside ball um shape peeking through where so it's almost like saying like the photon image they captured the inside's hotter do you, do you understand what i'm saying i'm definitely trying to follow i'm not totally lost but i'm having to like put together a lot of things at once um so yes tentatively yeah. Yeah, so like it, 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 to me that makes sense is that for somehow when they're building with the sun and mapping the light, they're recreating this photon shape on a on different scale in different ways. Whereas they got the the hot summer sun in Stonehenge, and you got the ball shape that's inside, and you got the uh, the winter sun in the in Egypt, and you got the uh, mostly the shell shape of the concave square. Um, that's fascinating. Uh, really quick aside, and it's not a major rabbit hole, but I had heard my brother had sent me a podcast of some kind, um, some lady who won the Australian memory challenge or something like that. She taught herself how to like remember things. Um, so it's not like innate or, you know, a priori kind of gifts or whatever. Like she kind of figured out how to do this. Um, so we all can, but basically she was talking about Newgrange, I believe, and uh, different kind of things. But basically um, Newgrange, which is similar to Stonehenge, but not quite, uh, used to have people walking in it and doing ceremonies, whether they were aware of all this. I, I imagine at some level, this gets tricky. I, and like we were talking about earlier, it's like what's intentional, what's just happenstance or synchronistic, not happenstance, but synchronistic and resonant regardless of intention. Um, but these people would go theoretically in, in these, you know, Stonehenge kind of places. And it's almost like a memory palace. Basically the idea is like, how do you in, in, um, encode stories uh of all sorts of types of things um without like language and you kind of t project stories onto these artifacts and then you have a procession through it and it becomes a ritual to the degree that people you know tell themselves a story as they're walking through it to be the equivalent of like walking through disney world and having kind of you know projected stories on each like part of disney world or whatever um I don't know why I felt like saying that, but I did, so I did. <laughs> anyway, uh, Raphael, any thoughts on what he said so far? I'm just continuing. It's fascinating. Yeah, I know. Keep going. Yeah, you're correct. You're like Akashic Records type deal? Well, not Akashic Records necessarily, but a way of um, preserving culturally dense information without language that can be lost. I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting um, is that I can run through um, more numbers. I just don't, you know, I don't want to lose people with the uh, the math, but um, uh, it just seems like reality is very holographic. And the Earth is a geometric structure 
they're building on the best locations. Um, Stonehenge is near latitude 51.84, which is the slope of the pyramid itself. The pyramid is on the speed of light um, latitude 29.97. So what it all comes down to, and let's see if I can find this chart here. Um, because the pyramid is related to the golden ratio, it's going to be a close match to um, the dimensions of DNA. And water itself is tetrahedral, the, uh, the structure of water. Um, so you have um, the hydrogen atoms on a water molecule are um, 104.45 degrees apart from each other. So when you split that water molecule in half, you'll get two angles of 52.225, I think. And so the slope angle of the uh, Great Pyramid is 51.84. The center pyramid, I think, is 53.216 degrees. So like that 52.225, to five degrees is right in between those and there's a golden ratio relationship too with the angle of hydrogen on water and uh and between the two pyramids and what's also interesting is that you know i say the pyramids are facing their winter sun i'll go through the numbers real quick um if anybody wants to check it out for themselves but the uh, the Earth's tilt changes between uh, 22 degrees and 24.5 degrees every 41,000 years. So if we take the uh, the slope of the Great Pyramid, which is 51.84, and we minus the latitude 29.97, we get um, 21.87. And degrees. So the minimum tilt of our axis is 22. So what that means is when Earth is most it's at its minimum tilt of 22 and most balance, it's almost directly, it's only, a, you know, less than a degree off of facing directly the Great Pyramid. Okay. And given the kind of hardware or reality that we're dealing with, that's pretty accurate. I mean, this is fascinating. Nothing's going to be perfect. It seems we're living in a kind of a smudging kind of a, like things get smudged here in reality. Like you're saying the axial tilt over back tunes or whatever causes weird shifts. Plus, let alone like seismic events, I think even um, just weird things like, you know, the sun is getting further away or the moon, the moon's getting further away every year a little bit. So it's like things kind of fudge about, but it's like this is pretty fucking accurate considering. Right. And the, the minimum tilt could very well be 29 point. Eight seven, and they're just saying twenty two. You see, so um, if you take the dimensions of the pyramid, Great Pyramid again, and you go from the corner straight up over to the apex and back down, you get that rectangle shape like the monolith. And I was going to say if this played into that because I was sensing some of the same ratios that I thought I remembered from last time. Right. And so the diagonal of that shape of the Great Pyramid. The diagonal is close to 24.5 degrees. So, as far as like facing the sun on the side, you're matching the uh, Earth's minimum tilt. When you go from one corner to the apex of the other corner, you get a diagonal that's close to Earth's maximum tilt. 
So that's almost, that's pretty amazing that you can have um, the minimum tilt and maximum tilt all in the same shape, all in that latitude, matching the speed of light. It's just too unbelievable. Highly resonant, I think, is a, a good way to put it. Because I, I don't know what it means, ultimately. I'm, that's why I'm trying to figure out. It's like, are they trying to wait? Like, if we if we grok this stuff, do we suddenly, like, transcend monkey minds? Or, like, I don't understand what it does. But it sounds like there's a lot more to the picture than meets the eye, even though it's very much in front of our faces constantly. Right. And I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, if, if the golden ratio is, like, one of the most stable shapes to build, and they want to match that winter angle, they got to go up to that specific latitude. Um, to do it. And um, so um, what's interesting about the pyramid, which I didn't mention on the last show, is that it matches the rainbow spectrum. And when when we, you know, I have a group of friends, we're all working on this. We know Will 42 degrees play into this at all, if I had a question? Right. Um, okay, yeah. I'm seeing where you're going with this. Okay, so we're all working on this. Everybody knows the slope is 51.84 degrees. And then finally, I just realized like it's got to be different at the corner because it widens out. So when you measure the great pyramid from the corner, it's exactly 42. The number of the meaning of the universe, according to the Hitchhiker's guide, 42 is Jupiter. Uh, it's, you know, joy, all this kind of stuff in terms of esoteric uh, resonance, but this is the rainbow bridge. Right, people talk about sometimes in uh, uh, Nordic mythology. Exactly. So now at the corner, we have exactly forty-two. So what I said was, okay, then how does the fifty-one point eight four relate to the rainbow? And it turns out that a regular rainbow is from forty to forty-two degrees. A double rainbow is from fifty to fifty-three degrees. So when you take the 51.84 degrees, it's exactly phi, the golden ratio, inside the 50 to 53. So the, the, the corner of the pyramid is matching the top of a rainbow. The side of the pyramid is matching the golden section of a double rainbow. And the double rainbow matches your chakras. It starts at red at the bottom and goes on up. The golden section is a green matching the heart chakra and it's also the same green you see when you're looking down uh, a hall of mirrors oh that optical like illusion effect you might see um like what you're saying what uh, i think Ro brian uh, robert fripp and brian eno had an album or something where they had a uh, a bunch of like an infinity hall kind of thing where it kind of hues to like almost a uh, green flash green exactly there's no such thing as a perfect mirror so because they're all little um, imperfect, you end up, for some reason, the green wavelengths you end up seeing as you're looking down, and that's the same green. Fascinating. Um, this is a lot of info, and I know I've kind of Hansel and Gretel enough over the years to kind of grok what you're saying to a degree, uh, no pun intended, but um, that fact that you just said, the double rainbow, I mean, that fits that mystery well, and it's kind of just like, adds more mystery capital m to it was like wow like what is going on because even with rainbows it kind of uh, like you're getting to with chakras and um spectrum kind of resonance like red is not green is not blue and they all have like different vibratory states if you want to put it that way um in terms of light density or whatever's going on um 
it reminds me a little of uh, obviously a rainbow. If you see like a full rainbow or even a double rainbow, very much of the human eyeball. Right. Raphael, any thoughts? You're, you're awfully quiet over there. I'm listening. Okay, yeah. good. Just making sure you're not, you know, the pulse is still there. All right, cool. Rich, uh, keep going, though. This is fascinating. Okay, so, like, okay. Now we're going to get into the, probably the Sphinx and the, the Crown and the Snake again. But, um, so, basically, um, the, the horizon is also matching your chakras. Um, when the sun comes up, it's a red. And then it turns like orange and yellow as it goes up. We don't see the rest of the colors because of the wavelengths are scattering through the atmosphere. But if we could, we would see that the horizon itself is also a match to the your chakras. This is funny. I think. Uh, do you know Colin Smith by any chance? Yeah, I think so. He's been on the podcast a few times. I think you guys would have a fun time talking, just because he does a really good job of showing. Um, the very holy is a strong word, but I don't really know what else to say. The holy nature of the Tao, where it's just like, this is just this magical thing. We don't really have to go to other dimensions necessarily or, you know, whatever, not to say those don't exist, but like the magic is all happening here too. It's crazy. It's like, there's so much going on. It seems the whole, like you're saying, a part of the nature of a hologram is that, um, you can find, I'm not, now I'm showing my ignorance, but I've heard this. So I'm going to kind of stumble through the idea. Um, you can find a part of the whole and the whole thing, I believe, is the idea. So if you take any piece of the data of the hologram out, you can basically get a small version of the same hologram. Do you know what I'm talking about? Exactly. I know I just sounded like the dumbest non-scientist ever. Sorry, folks. Uh, you can reconstruct is... the entirety of the hologram out of any fragment of the hologram. And that seems to be the nature of what's going on in terms of even discrete material reality. Because um, as Raphael is often fond of saying, we're in a holodeck, kind of like Star Trek. And that means this is kind of not like uh, to dis demystify it, but this is kind of the the practical reasonability of why some of these things are happening on multiple scales is because, you know, all the universe in a grain of sand kind of thing. Right. And like I said, I've been doing this for years and years. And even myself, I have to really like think about everything and really like meditate on it to almost blowing my own mind, you know what I mean? So one post is not going to do it alone. You really got to consider it at all. And I think, like, just realizing that the earth, you know, the, the tilt is special, how it matches the pyramid, and the earth itself is geometric, and that's when things are going to start changing. Um, do you have other rabbit holes you want to go down? I have random questions I could ask you that just came to mind, but I want to make sure you're getting, you know, wringing out your towel as much as you want. Yeah, um, basically, the you know, if, um, I, I have a couple of things I could talk about. But do first, it, do it. Yeah, first of all, the equator, okay? Um, if you were just to look at the land exactly on the equator, you would have water, land, water, land. And when you work it all out, it, it, the amount of water going to, like, leading to South America and then that piece of land and then you take the water going to like Africa, that's the same distance of water, and then the land is the same distance, and then you got the same distance of water again to like Indonesia, scattered islands, but if you look at like the form under the islands, you can kind of see where it bumps out, and that's the same distance again. So what I found is that 
if you take the equator and you square the circle, which take the uh, the shape of the equator and you make a square with the same exact area as the equator, as the circle, um, all the land fits on the, uh, the the protruding corners of the square. And so each, each um, you know, when you square... The it's circle, almost like a compass or something? Yeah, when you square the circle, you'll have a square over the top of a circle with the with the corners sticking out. And if you put that on the equator, the land fits in exactly each corner, and then the fourth corner would be like the center of the uh, Pacific Ocean. I've seen this on your page now that I, now you're talking about it, I know what you're talking about. Um, all right, so yeah, if you had a circle and you put a square inside, the protrusions that would almost look like pyramids on the outside of the circle are where the land masses exist. Yeah, they exactly fit. Now, because the water and land are all equal all around tells you one thing, but the fact that it's matching a square of equal area tells you, like, it has to be right. So what are your thoughts on Pangea and, like, uh, I don't know, tectonic movements and stuff? Like, how does that play into this, or is that a false model in your opinion, or how how does that work? Um, that's a little complicated and uh, based on perspective. Um, I believe that um, there's a guy called Neil Adams, and he has a growing earth theory. And his theory that the earth is um, growing, and that's why the the land could all fit together if the earth was smaller. I'll have to look this guy up. I've never heard of this. Yeah, this was a long time ago, but I, I tried telling him, you know, that the opposite is true. If the land was shrinking, it would be the same effect. So instead of the earth growing and separating the land, if the land itself was shrinking, you know, it's another perspective thing. But, yeah, it's kind of out of the box. We're all about out of the box thinking in Team Rabbit Hole. Um, yeah, because what you're kind of saying, it seems like uh, what reminds me of a little in a sense is like there's discrete algorithms to the DAO. Um, kind of like, I don't know exactly what it is, but you can, like, uh, I remember as a kid, I couldn't tell you what was going on exactly, like what elements or what's going on, but you take some kind of liquid and you shake up this stuff in a little tube and then you set it there and it would have like spaced like rings almost of trees that got smaller and smaller. I don't even know what was going on. I mean, somebody who's a scientist could probably be like, oh yeah, that's a simple experiment. Do this. Um, I don't think we were creating crystals. I don't think that had to do with it, but probably the same kind of era of my life, like creating rock candy or whatever. Anyway, the point is, it seems like there's some really interesting discrete stuff. So I'm wondering how it all plays into the models we have that kind of fluctuate and permeate because the change just seems to be a constant. Um, you know, that's one of the things about the I Ching, the Book of Changes, um, it's like, yo, this is always fluctuating. This is always, you know, it's never still. But some of these things you're saying are very discrete, still kind of points. So I didn't know if you thought this is true now or eternally true or if we have, you know, you see what I'm saying? I didn't know how you're modeling reality like that. For example, last night I watched a great Disney movie for the second time, um, Coco. If you haven't seen it, I highly suggest it. It's on, um, I don't even know, we Amazon Prime did, I guess. So we rented it. But, um, some of the things about Pixar, for example, like they're getting super, super realistic with textures and shading and all this stuff, but they're still maintaining a lot of the quirkiness and fluidity of human bodies and everything. It's not just like some stoic perfection. It's like there's perfection in the imperfection, if you get what I'm saying. Right. That's called the, uh, the uncanny valley is when it looks real, but kind of scary. 
Right, I've heard that word. The same thing, I think, with dolls or maybe AI or something like that, where it's like, if it's too, it's funny and cool to a point, but if it gets too realistic, we start freaking out as monkeys and not knowing what's real and, like, have an existential crisis, basically. Right. It's funny how that's built in. Like, we love to think, we're like, oh, we're God, and all this stuff as New Agers or whatever. You have moments like that. It's like, what the fuck is going on? I can't handle this. It's freaking me out. Yeah. So that was an interesting little tidbit about the land masses in the ocean. Um, keep jotting down your list, man. Yeah, okay. So now you know about the Schumann resonance. Um, it's a frequency, 7.83 hertz, and it's supposed to be the heartbeat of the Earth. And I guess like when you're in a, the alpha brain stage or um, deep meditation, you'll also can reach that 7.83 hertz uh, frequency. I'm not sure. If, is it alpha or theta? And maybe Raphael knows a little about this because Schumann resonance is always coming up that uh, my girl, uh, my fiance, I was going to say girlfriend, um, we're talking about this all the time. We notice actual effects in our thinking, behavior, mood, etc. when resonance is going off the chart. Um, even I think there was a group meditation not too long ago where people were doing something and it effect, it seemed to like white out the Schumann resonance, like it had an effect on the Tao. <laughs> right. It controls their behaviors. And uh, so here's a little something I figured out is that the Schumann resonance is 7.83 Hertz, which is 7.83 times a second. Now the speed of light would travel. Some people say it doesn't travel, but the speed of light will travel around the equator exactly 7.48 times a second. So it's a little less. So then I realized that if I go up in latitude, it's going to be a smaller circumference, and there's going to be a point that's going to match that 7.83 hertz. And where was that point? Okay. Turns out that it's right next to the points of the star tetrahedron. So 19.47 latitude um, and what you do is the Schumann, okay, there's different layers of the atmosphere, and I think it's the thermosphere is just under that is where they detect the Schumann signal the strongest. Um, let's see, I have it here, 85 kilometers in, in the sky. So if you're on that 19.47 latitude where the points of a star touch the surface, and you add in the 85 kilometers above that where the Schumann um, signal is strongest, you take that circumference, the speed of light will go around that exactly 7.83 times in one second. Wowie zowie. Matching the Schumann resonance. So it's almost like this pulse that the Earth is getting from the Schumann is related to that area above those points. Interesting. See, because I know there's a lot of, uh, and I'm all about woo-woo, but like I don't know how to apprehend that stuff. It seems like you're coming at it from a much more pragmatic kind of engineering standpoint, whereas I'm like, oh, is this the heartbeat of Gaia? Are we resonating to a higher frequency and 5Ds coming in? Like, that's how I paint that kind of Schumann stuff where I feel like in some weird way when I see those like uh, images of the whiting out and like the, you know, the, the gaps or whatever, it's like, oh, shit, we're starting to become like aware of the pixelation of the matrix, and the more we are, like the more it kind of breathes or something 
Yeah, I'm not really sure, like, what causes those fluctuations. But as far as, like, matching the exact number, like, it seems like there's some kind of interaction with, like, where those points are touching. And the speed of light it will match it exactly in the area. Were those related to specific, like, locate, like cities or, like, structures or, you know, Hawaii or whatever? Um, the pyramids of Mexico are on that latitude. And the tallest of... Uh, volcano in hawaii's on it well shit there's some more field trips for team rabbit hole i believe that hawaii according to bashar is you know there's always different reference systems but that he mentions this to actually be the heart chakra of the earth which may be you know also play into that theme of the heartbeat of the earth and uh, human resonance the thing that came to mind when you said that is uh, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd has this whole like do 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 at the end of it. And it's like, there is no Dark Side of the Moon. As a matter of fact, it's all dark, which kind of plays into what you were saying with Nassim Harriman's thing with it's all black holes. So it's like, there is no reality. It's all spin of black hole event horizons or something like that. Right. It's, it just seems like if it's true that the Schumann's matching these points and the pyramids can relate to it and all that, it just seems like there's some kind of system of resonance that we could be building to, with that matches our bodies, that matches the earth and the sun that we can like hook into where everything's connected. You, you know, working smart, not hard, basically kind of like maybe what the pyramids were doing originally. Yeah, and the thing is, if we know that even all the, now we call them churches, whatever they, other purposes they may have served, are all built on these ley lines. So I would very much assume that we already have these structures built around both ancient style, let's say, and modern style, whatever that may mean, everywhere, and just have to repurpose them and use them properly once again. Right. But it gets even farther out of the box. Um what I found is that the human body is equal to the pyramid stacked uh, six times. So if you take six um, great pyramids and you stack them, it makes a long rectangle that will fit around a person and their shoulders. It'll fit, fit around your body pretty perfectly. And um, so the uh, when you look at um, King Tut's tomb and he has those two guards, outside of his tomb they have kind of like a pyramid type crown and then they have a pyramid skirt so now you have the pyramid stacked six times in a person and i have a poster of this and you put that statue next to it you'll see that the crown is almost like matching the top pyramid and the skirt is a combination of the two middle pyramids like merged together so it's pretty strange, but it's like... Almost the, like a tetractus in a sense. Yeah, it's an exact match to the stacking of the pyramids, but the two center ones are like merged into a, like a one longer pyramid for their skirt. There, there you have it, folks. I mean, this stuff is written large all around us, but uh, do we have eyes to see? Hopefully right. people like you, Rich, are doing the research and having fun doing it um, to help keep cracking these matrix codes. And what I always do is try to back it up with the math. So if anybody can check it out for themselves and, you know, anything I post, someone could take it a step further. That's what's up. We had a, a person come on recently who's into more um, Bitcoin and programming and stuff. And he was talking about verifiability being very important. Right. 
you know, it, it really helps. Um, and, you know, math is what's going to, you know, solve it. You can't, without just saying it. Well, we have the mathematicians and then we have the poets. Uh, so we all have to kind of yin-yang together. Um, so I'm as more of a poetic, less mathematician type. I'm, I kind of get inspired by these things uh, that you're describing. And maybe I'll go play a cool guitar riff now or something. But hopefully it all feedback or borally loops into itself. And we all inspire each other to greater and greater heights. We're kind of wrapping up here on the time because we have another podcast coming up. But um, uh, how much more of the list do you have? Uh, did we get through quite a bit or not so much? Um, let me just say one thing about how the pyramid relates to the star tetrahedron. Do it. Yeah, okay. So when you take an equilateral triangle and you make a, a tetrahedron, each face of the triangle is leaning towards the center. And so if you were to look at um, a tetrahedron, the triangles will look a little shorter uh, visually. So if you were to create a new triangle based on that shorter height, that's almost exactly a face of the pyramid. And if you lean four of those, it forms the pyramid. Damn. So, you know, so, like, all these things are, you know, cool little things to think about, but really you got to, like, consider it all um, to actually, like, have any, like, breakthroughs or, like, you know, I, I really think that, you know, we don't need to wait for anything to, like, evolve to the next level. It's all here in front of us. We just got to, like, see it for what it is. Rafael, did you want to say something? I thought I saw you flashing. That's it. Uh, thank you, Rich. No, thank you. And like I I got more, so maybe for next time. Oh, this will be a constant Hansel and Gretel trail. I think you'll be a recurring guest for sure. And thank you so much for the work you're doing. I know it's not easy. I know you've gotten shit for it. Thanks for being perseverant. Um, anytime you need an encouraging word, holler. I got you, bruh. Uh, but we need people like you on the front lines doing the real mental math in a sense right to be able to prove some of these kind of more far ideas in order to change the um well whether the zeitgeist is changing naturally or we do the change i'm not sure but the point is let's keep waking up further and further i agree um my page is called welcome to the golden page on youtube uh, facebook and instagram feel free to look up anything and comment anything you like and we're all in this together Fuck yeah, I love that. So thanks again, Rich, for coming on. We'll get you on shortly, um, in, as soon as possible kind of thing. And uh, yeah, that's where to find them, folks. Um, I guess my last kind of sentiment is, you know, let's uh, go further up and further in. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Rich. Thank you all for listening. Check out Welcome to the Golden Page. And remember to enjoy yourselves. Radio Okie Talk. Radio.